0: You know, I don't know if Red or Jerry really have any animosity against uh, um, Joe Girard, but I sure do. I remember watching that kid play, and I just, I, I can't, I can't get on board. Like, whatever, if he wants to make this a revenge game.
1: I don't think there's any animosity, and I don't think he's making it a revenge game. But you know he's going to come out fired up, and he's going to want to play well. Because if he goes cold, he's going to hear it from the crowd at the Dome. He's going to absolutely hear it, and he doesn't want to he doesn't want to have that on his hands. But I, you know, I've always been a big Joe Girard apologist. We know that on this podcast, and I've always been a big fan. But I think I think he's going to have a good day.
0: Well, hopefully you're wrong.
1: And welcome to Three Idiots and a Lawyer. Joe Shell here along with Kevin O'Keefe. And Kevin, it's been an up and down couple of weeks for uh, the Syracuse basketball program. The big news of the last few days, Benny Williams has been dismissed from the basketball program after being seen on national TV shoulder checking coach Adrian Autry. So that wasn't a great sight for Syracuse basketball. And that was coming on the heels of a absolute dismantling at the hands of Wake Forest, 99 to 70. So let's dive right in. You know, Kevin, it was a part of a two-game losing streak there where they dropped consecutive games to, to Boston College, which really was a killer for the tournament hopes. And then to follow that up with the absolute beatdown against Wake Forest, I mean, we really needed those games. And to drop both of those, you know, you not yeah. being able to build any momentum off the, off the win against NC State.
0: I think it might have been the end of it if we lost to Louisville.
1: I think that absolutely would have been the end of it. I mean,
0: and we, I don't know, but I mean, going back to the Benny thing, what was that about? Like, I don't, I don't think I followed it closely enough, but the the closest comparison that I can think of is Deshaun Watson. Um, Earlier in the year, if you remember when he was still starting for the Browns, he like checked a referee or like, he didn't like deck him, but he got physical with a referee. and. It seemed very much like that was going to be the end of the year. He was going to be sanctioned or, or suspended or whatever, and and then it just kind of went away. But with Benny, it just seems like they didn't have any. I don't know if this was the last straw for him or whatever. But I don't, I don't know. I just I'm wondering if you had any more context on that whole thing.
1: No, and no one really does. If I had to guess, I don't even know that the the bumping into red was the final straw in and of itself i mean it's certainly a bad look but i'm sure there's a lot more going on behind closed doors i mean this has been an issue dating back the last couple of years even back when when was still around you had the the game where benny just took a personal day and wasn't there and then to start the season this year not on the bench suspended for a violation of team rules and then the continue to not be available for games here and there. Clearly there was something going on behind closed doors. And I'm sure this didn't help his situation, but to get frustrated with a technical foul, which he absolutely deserved the technical foul. He took the ball and tossed it away. And that's going to get called 10 times out of 10. Then to get frustrated when you get pulled out of the game and kind of hip check or shoulder check the coach on live TV. I mean, it's a bad look, and it's I'm sure in the context of everything else that's going on that that we're not aware of, I'm sure it was just the last straw. and and like I said, it may not have been the the bumping into the coach necessarily, but I, I'm sure it was more than that, but it's clearly not a good situation. it It wasn't a situation that was working for Benny, who has regressed significantly in his junior year compared to his yeah. sophomore year. And it wasn't working for the team. And you almost wonder if after they readjust, if it's in the long run, in addition by subtraction, but they certainly miss him physically and they need his size on this team. And that was evident in the game against Louisville that you referenced, but we were were really getting, getting manhandled. We we got
0: manhandled by by, what's his name? Brandon Huntley
1: Hatfield.
0: Yeah, man, that was embarrassing.
1: Um, and Lu- Louisville's
0: not even on the map, right? They're pretty much already... A f- they're not in the tournament, right? They're probably... They're, even if they won out...
1: I want to say their overall record this year is 7-15. and 15.
0: Yeah, so th- their season's over in terms of postseason aspirations. And yet, they kind of played us as an equal. Uh, if not, outplayed us at points. Um, but, I mean, we've been saying for... I mean, I've, I've been saying the whole season, right? You need to stay north of 500 in conference. We're 500 in conference again. But at this point, it really does look like we're on the outside looking in to a possible tournament bid. As per usual, we're probably going to have to win a few games in the ACC tournament, which I'm, I'm, almost, I'm almost unfortunately going to be going to because they're actually here at the Verizon Center or the, the Capital One Arena, rather, um, in D.C uh so that'll be fun um but that seemingly it, it seems like there aren't enough wins on the table remaining uh for us to make an outright you know play at it in the regular season right uh i, I guess the the only net positive that i can take away from the last 3 games cuz i think it's probably been 3 yeah i think it's been those 3 games you mentioned since we had our last episode we didn't lose against louisville <laughs> Uh, we made a couple of foul uh, free throws down the, down the line um, that we also missed a few, three free throws, but uh, sort of to create that separation until about two minutes left, I think we were up by six and that's when it kind of, that was the first time that I actually thought we had a chance of, of pulling it out. We sank a few free throws. They kept uh, fouling Kadir and, you know, like God bless that guy. He's, he, he's a really valuable asset, but the guy just can't consistently make his free throws when we really need him to. Cause you know, someone like that is who you need to be. I mean, I think he's shooting like 67% on the year or something like that, which is like, you know, not terrible, but he's the guy who's going to be going to the line the most often in those situations. It's gonna be him and Judah. Yeah. Um, I
1: I don't think they're even in the same ballpark. And, and sure quite a left a few points on on the rim on those foul shots but judah's the problem to me i mean he's one of the best guys in the country at getting to the line and i think he was but roughly just 50% i'm just talking about the, for the game, game yeah, yeah judah was roughly 50 percent from the line in that game right. and his biggest asset his greatest skill is getting fouled consistently he needs yeah. to be a well above average free throw shooter if that's gonna be his game and he has not well, been. he's he's taken a step back with his free throw shooting. And I I, I can I live gonna... with Fadier Copeland missing some free throws. I'm infuriated when Judah Mintz misses that many free throws.
0: So I was gonna lay off Judah for the free throws because he was sloppy in other ways as well, including that boneheaded toss with twenty-six seconds left when we were up at least a score and he tossed, like the the, the shot clock was off. So all we had to do was stand there and get fouled, go to the line, but who knows what happens if you go to the line, but he tried to like run in there and then make this weird pass and he turned it over And then Louisville drained a three immediately after that, tied it. And the only reason that we came out on top was because we got, like, this weird scrum in transition and managed to get a a goaltending call, like, with two seconds
1: left. (laughs) There's there's a lot going on here. It was. It was a a weird end to a game. We tried Um,
0: everything in the playbook to lose that game.
1: And somehow – we got to take one thing at a time because a lot happened in the last 30 seconds of that game. First of all, I'm glad you brought up the the turnover with the Judith's pass uh, on that second to last. That was that quite
0: possibly now. the dumbest turnover I've seen all season.
1: So that's, wh- that's what I thought when I initially saw it. After going back and watching a replay, I, I questioned myself a little bit and I had a second thought. And I, I couldn't believe that no one else... Had this thought on social media, on the broadcast. Yes, it was a mistake. Yes, it was a critical, critical poor play that could have and very well should have cost us the game. But after watching it a little closer, I'm pretty sure the ball went right through Malik Brown's hands, right under the basket. And I'm okay with that play if it results in Judah tossing the ball to Malik and Malik dunking the ball for two points on that possession. So I'm not entirely sure I put the blame entirely on Judah. Should he have maybe just held to the ball and waited to get fouled? Probably, but I think it was a bunny pass to Malik that just went straight through his hands. It was a No one else goofy... see that? That's what I saw. I saw a bunny of a pass go right through Malik Brown's hands. Maybe maybe I saw that wrong, but that's what it looked no, I, like to me. I,
0: I didn't watch a replay or anything, but the way my my looking at it, in real time was that it was a goofy pass that Malik was not expecting. That's probably and, the case. And it just was sort of a bang, bang play where he was like, wait, you're throwing me the ball. Uh, I don't know. I'm also I'm, I'm inclined be. to take Malik's I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm probably uh, predisposed to come to his defense because I mean, he, he played a great game, right? He, he was. Uh, he had
1: one of the best games all around Defensive? defensively,
0: it, he was a game changer. Like if it weren't for him, I think Louisville would have run all over us. Like he let's, was. You
1: know, let's not not make any mistakes about it. I mean, he had his hands full all day, and and he got bullied, and he gave up a lot of points. But he's playing yeah. out of position, and was getting bullied by a guy much bigger than him. He certainly held his own about as as well as you could expect him to. Mm-hmm. But a- every aspect of the game, Malik Brown had his fingerprints all over. Eleven points nine rebounds, six blocks, five assists, five steals. And he is the only player this season to have at least 10 points and five of the other categories. His ability to stuff the stat sheet is incredible. I mean, if he ever were able to figure out his jump shot, he is an elite college basketball player. Will that ever happen? I don't know. But... The, the standout performances from this game were certainly Malik Brown in nearly every aspect of the game that. and then finally Chris Bell coming to life shooting eight of ten from three for thirty points I mean he's in cold in the previous two losses he was a combined 0 for nine so to come out and have his best offensive shooting performance of his career hitting eight of ten threes I mean it came out of nowhere but he couldn't miss it was it was incredible and it was the reason we won the game you don't win that game without chris bell having the game of his life
0: and and he you know i just keep going down to that last two minutes he's another one who had a clutch three-pointer that if he doesn't make that we probably win the game right Uh, it was one of those transition plays on the way back in drains it props to him right so there are a couple of things to to be positive about he also needs to
1: get back on defense when he hits a three he needs to get back on defense which he doesn't do most of the time.
0: The, the 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 most the most positive takeaway that I can I can kind of hang my hat on was that it was a fun game, right? The dome was like energized and seemed like the fan base was into it. Like it doesn't seem like people have given up yet, but I think they may have cause to.
1: Yeah, you, you know, I mean, let's let's work backwards a little bit. You have this game against Louisville, probably the worst team in the conference, either them or Notre Dame. And it's a back and forth high scoring game where no one really played any defense. Doesn't move the needle. Doesn't help your tournament resume at all. But going back a couple weeks, last time we talked, we were previewing the game against NC state. And we said kind of, you know, this is a game against a team that's also in the bubble conversation and, and we need to win this game. And we do. You get good offensive performances from JJ and Judah with 26 and 20 respectively. And then you come in kind of expecting to win that game against Boston College in Chestnut Hill, and you come out flat, no one really plays incredibly well. You're you're led by 18 apiece from Judah and JJ again, but, but not a whole lot of contribution for anyone else. You have Chris Bell not able to hit a three. Justin Taylor doesn't contribute offensively, and you don't really have anyone else to turn to and you drop that game. That Boston college game was winnable and it was there. And, and they just, in that second half, they kind of dropped it and weren't able to, to stick in it. So that right there, I kind of felt like uh, that that's one we needed. I mean, it's not the worst loss on the road. I think it's a quad two loss, but when you don't have a lot of quad one wins, you need, need to collect wins in the other quad two and quad three categories and Adding any losses to those other categories, I think, hurts in a situation with a resume like ours. But Wake Forest, another team like NC State, kind of on the same footing as us, not firmly in the tournament field, but in that conversation, a, a win against them certainly helps. Kind of put yourself above some of the other potential bubble teams. To lose that game hurts. To win that game, It's a game that actually helps. On the road, that's a quad one win. We need quad one wins. They've proven time and time again in March that is what the committee looks at is quad one wins. One of the biggest things. The net kind of decides everything. To not win that game hurts. To get absolutely dismantled and embarrassed on TV in that game, I think that's hard to overcome because not only... Are you missing a quad one win opportunity? But you're also failing the eye test miserably, and it's such a bad loss that stands out. When that committee sits down, they're going to look at this game as more than just a loss. They're yeah, gonna look at it as an absolute beatdown, which is going to hurt more. So I think the only way the only way we could sit here and say, "Oh, I, I think we're putting ourselves on the correct side of the bubble conversation," would have been to have won all 3 of these games and 4 including NC State. So No, now.
0: Now we're in a position where regular season we have to go beat UNC on Tuesday. Absolutely,
1: and that might not even be enough. You can beat UNC yeah. and you UNC. can win out. I think they can win out and still be, be on, the on the wrong side of the bubble conversation.
0: And also just really hurts my soul that we had um we were undefeated in the dome and then Boston college is the one that we lose. It was just, just really upsetting. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, it it was, the they're just, they're, they're not good. Like it's, it sucks to
0: like lose to these not good teams. Like just, it just kind of reinforces the argument that we're, we're not a good team, but you know what? It's just, it's the same conversation we've been having for four years on this podcast.
1: But it's important to remember how much better this team is than last year's team. I mean, last year's team struggled to go 500. This isn't a great Syracuse team, but they're not a terrible Syracuse team either. And I think we're frustrated because we thought this rebuild would kind of get jump-started a little faster than it has. Overall, this is still reasonable for a transition year with a new coach. The team's not bad. They're just not good enough to make the tournament. And and that's kind of what our floor is as Syracuse fans. Yeah. Is the, the bar tournament.
0: to me, you're in or you're not that. I mean, there is no,
1: and we're sur- growing frustrated. Cause it's been a while where that's been, yeah. you know, attainable, but things could be worse. Always could be worse than this. I mean, it's frustrating and it's upsetting, but no need to go. No need to go pop the dome just yet. Yeah, hey, we
0: already did that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I you know depending on who knows who stays and who goes, but but there are some good pieces on this team, and you hope. Um, it's worth noting that Donnie Freeman, our incoming power forward for next year, when we recruited him, when he committed, he was roughly a top forty player in next year's class. In most of the recruiting services now, he's worked his way up to the top 10 as a five-star. So the kid's the real deal. Um, Obviously, anything can happen between now and then. Benny Williams was a a five-star recruit, and and that didn't really pan out the way we hoped. But I don't want to just jump too soon and start looking at next year. There's still a lot of games to be played, but... It's going to take a good run just to make the NIT, and it's going to take a borderline miracle to to make the NCAA. That's that's kind of where I'm at right now. I think you have to more or less win out, maybe six of the last eight, including a big upset. It probably has to be UNC at this point. You probably have to beat Clemson coming up, and then on top of that, I think two three games in the ACC tournament, and then maybe you'll get a chance will they'll consider you for a bubble spot.
0: Well, we got two shot, two shots at Clemson. UNC is the big one. And we got NC State, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, and then we got Louisville again. Um, so none of the top tier, which is a good thing and a bad thing, right? It means all these games are winnable with the exception of probably UNC. But it means that we could drop – you know a, a bad loss to uh a q3 or or worse all of these schools that we have remaining on the schedule are in the bottom half of the conference which you can see that as a good thing and a bad thing right you know you could win out with the exception of unc but how much do those wins really matter i mean it's it's just sort of a you know the grass is always greener. If we were playing a bunch of juggernauts down the down the stretch, it'd be wonderful because it's oh we have all these Q one opportunities. But are we even really in a position to compete with these Q one schools? I, I think I think no, not this year. But you know I just I just wanted some some crazy switch to go on and for us to make a run and 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 at least be on the bubble and somehow you know the, the crazier things have happened. We've we've made the tournament with nineteen wins before. You know, maybe maybe some some weird stuff can happen down the stretch. Things always weird things always happen on conference championship, you know, tournaments on that weekend. There's always some weird lunacy that ends up, you know, jolting some some programs in that probably don't deserve to be in.
1: What it's I sad that like... that's
0: that's our ceiling at this point. Yeah, being one of those fringe programs that just gets in on a technicality.
1: What's what's weird about this team is that, you know, they win a decent number of games and, and they can play pretty well on any given night. But the inconsistency, I mean, we had a run where we couldn't score for the life of us and had no flow on offense, but we were playing pretty well defensively. Now we're lost defensively and the offense is actually playing pretty well. But this team outside of that Boston College game, they don't really lose close games. They don't handle adversity well. If things aren't going well and they're and they're facing a deficit, they're they're you know struggling. They collapse and fall apart. In any game that is an uphill battle, they crumple and end up getting blown the doors off. And and that is they they don't fight through games that are tough. You know games that are back and forth like this Louisville game, they can stay in it and win but games where you're getting bullied or you hit a tough stretch once it once it starts to slip a little bit it completely slips away and falls apart and and I don't I don't want to say that it's it's an effort thing. I don't want to say that they're not putting in the full effort, but they certainly seem to lose focus when things get hard, get hard and it's kind of hard to argue with the fact that we've seen this team quit On multiple occasions this year, I don't know if you feel that way, Kevin, but I feel like for the first time maybe ever I've seen a Syracuse team that's capable of actually kind of throwing in the towel once in a while when a game gets difficult. How do you feel about that?
0: Yeah, I seem to remember us having similar sentiments, uh, especially the early part of last year. I think, I think I remember us making a similar argument about the, the, the twenty twenty two twenty three to 23 program, or maybe, maybe it was two years ago.
1: But by and large, Bayheim game. teams would fight tooth and nail down to the end, even when they weren't going to win would keep a lot of those games close. I don't remember seeing a team that just. I don't like a chair, training,
0: but, but there were, there were some, Moments last, I think it was last season, where it seemed like we just gave up. You know, we just kind of threw in the towel. But regardless, that's that's unacceptable on any level, and it starts and ends with red, right? I mean, even if he is a first year coach, like, you know, I, I think that's one of the reasons why Dino got canned. We we were just sloppy and not disciplined, and you know, sometimes we just gave up on, and you know. A, switching over to football for a half second but you just can't have that and it's as a fan it's just sort of i don't know it's just sort of disappointing and and i I, that's just my roundabout way of saying like I, i i think i agree with you but you know like you said before there are some things to be optimistic about we've got more talent on this team than we know what to do with it's just we're always missing that puzzle piece you know let's let's take that power forward Who's uh, you know this five star recruit and let's wrap him in bubble paper and get him on campus, you know hopefully be able to take the next step next season and you know compete for you know, the the ultimate goal being to compete for the conference.
1: So Kevin, we've kind of gotten away from uh, giving out our stars and demerits over the last few weeks. Um, so why don't we go ahead and we'll dive back in just regarding the whole last four game stretch for Syracuse basketball. Give a star, give a demerit. Um
0: why don't you go first? I need to think. All
1: right. So I'm going to give a demerit to Chris Bell for his two-game stretch against Wake Forest and Boston College where he went 0 for 9 from 3. And he, you know, he's he's the shooter on the team. We we can't have him going cold like that. Obviously, shooters can be streaky and that's okay and they got to shoot their way through it. But 0 for 9 in two big, big critical losses, I mean that one really hurts. But on the flip side of that, I'd like to give Chris Bell a star for his eight for ten shooting performance against Louisville, which it's a great way to bust out of a slump.
0: Um, I'll give my star to Malik Brown. Um, uh, like we said, he's he had the most complete performance uh, the last game, um, but. He I, I correct me. I don't know if you disagree, but he seems to me to be the rock of this team. You you kind of know what he's you're gonna get. He's the glue guy. Him. He's
1: the he's the Marek Dolajai.
0: Yeah, he's he's not he's not I mean he's not a position. He's he's not playing the true position because we, for God knows what reason, cannot get a full size center to one commit to the program. Two, be good enough to play at a high level. And three, stay healthy the entire year. We cannot do it. We have not done it since Arenze Onwaka. Who
1: has one of the most critical injuries in school history, might I add.
0: And who I just noticed the other day, the uh, Washington, D.C., like Syracuse Alumni Club, uh, they took a photo uh, of all of us at one of the game watches. And there's me right in the background looking like a pipsqueak. Right? It's like me and Kyra right next to A.O. And he's like eight feet taller than all of us. And it's an amazing picture. And then there's Matt Pfeiffer there right in the front with his big Syracuse and a big smile on his face. And it's just like that picture was taken like five years ago and they're still using it.
1: Oh, really? Oh, it's that? Okay. Yeah. It's like the
0: SUDC Alumni Club like Facebook page like cover yeah. photo.
1: And it's, very nice. Uh, very nice. I don't man, know. It by just the makes, way. Makes... I, I want to throw that out there. If you ever see Orinze, he'll be more than happy to talk a little uh, about the old days of Syracuse basketball with a very nice man.
0: But I, what Malik Brown, you know, I wish he could play power forward. Um, he gets my star for just being, you know, the rock of the team for the last, you know, several games. Um, he's a playmaker, um, you know, half a star goes to JJ Starling, um, also impressed me defensively, just getting in passing lanes, disrupting, like, you know, you could could say the same for Copeland and a few other guys too. Just this team, I think the, the biggest difference defensively is that we are much more aware. We get in passing lanes, we disrupt, uh you know, the lanes all the time, you know, we're, we're blocking guys. Like it's the, we're, we're blocking in a good way Um, as, as opposed to, you know, what we've seen in the past with the two, three, like this defense is, is much more. What defense are
1: you um, referring to? uh, The, the, the defense. uh, Are you talking about the predominantly man to man defense we've played this year? or Are you talking about the two, three zone that we saw against Louisville?
0: Yeah, well, we've seen kind of all of the above. It was predominantly I- zoned talking, against
1: Louisville, I think for the first time all year. I'm I'm talking
0: about the overall like heads-upness um on defense that we just have not seen in previous years. Not not that it's making a ton of difference, but it makes me feel a little bit better uh that we can at least, you know, bank 10 or 12 you know, transition points that are that are uh they they seem to never be on the table in previous years it's going to be tough Um,
1: without benny you know we're lacking a lot of size and i think that's a big reason we've kind of went back to the zone was have a short bench we only have about seven healthy guys that contribute and now you are playing undersized lineups without benny so we may see more zone but overall i i agree with you a lot of those things have improved i mean we're we're kind of glossing over a recent horrendous stretch of defense. But overall, by and large on the season, yeah. sure, a lot of these things have been vastly improved. Do you,
0: do you know why, though, the, we got away with the 2-3? I mean, sort of, kind of, like we gave up 92 points.
1: Because Louisville's a bad little, shooting but... team.
0: They were not draining threes. Against a bad us. shooting. They team. just were not. It hitting. was smart. And I mean, when that happens, three is the best. I mean, option honestly, out we there.
1: saw you saw how badly we were getting bullied down low. How much worse is it if we're playing man to man that whole game? I mean, they they right. probably score hundred and ten points if we play man to man the whole time. Yep. Yeah.
0: Um, and then yeah, I'm gonna give my my demerit to Judahmins also, um, just for. Um, just bad turnovers and just overall sloppiness, which is just sort of his thing, right? But it's it's hard to give the guy demerit because he's just so, like, he's he's really uh, uh, he is the most special player on this team, hands down. Like we always have one of him. Um, he's not on my shit list quite like you know the uh scoop Jardines of the world have gotten on my shit list um uh just because what other choice do we really have than to put Judimens out there like we have to the guy is just the most talented and I I just I just hate seeing him make like these really dumb mistakes with less than 30 seconds on the clock like honestly to me throwing the ball turning the ball over with 26 seconds left when you're up by one score is the same thing to me as throwing the ball away on fourth down like it's just it's just not smart basketball it's uh it's just a head scratcher and I mean I know you get you get all you know hyped up down there and you're not you're not thinking straight but I mean I think sometimes we just need to slow it down and not make the big mistake because that's going to cost us it, whenever we're playing teams that are. It was loaded. pointed out
1: on the broadcast a couple of times, um, and I, I tend to agree with it. Right now, Quadir Copeland is probably the best point guard on this roster. Judah Mintz isn't really a yeah. fantastic point guard. He's a, a very dynamic combo guard who we're asking to be our point guard, but Quadir Copeland is the best passer and distributor on this team. <laughs> He sees things that, that Judah doesn't see and the offense has an added added flow of movement to it when Quadir is running the offense. Maybe we'd be better served, you know, with this undersized lineup running Quadir, Judah, and JJ out there together and, and kind of running the offense through Quadir instead of Judah.
0: I I think that is worth exploring. I mean it's it's a little late in the year for that, but um it's it's at least worth giving a look, you know, try it out for you know, a handful of minutes in the first half and see how it goes. Give it a little bit of time to mature, run it in practice, see what happens. I mean, we don't have a whole lot to lose right. at this point. So we're, we're practically looking at, you know, playing for next right. year.
1: One last honorable mention I want to throw out there worth noting over the last four games, JJ Starling is 12 of 32 from three which averages out to roughly 38%. So if Chris Bell can stay hot and JJ can continue to be a fairly reasonable three-point shooter, that really helps the spacing of the offense. And maybe we'll continue to see things taking a positive turn on that end of the court. As far as the defense, who knows? We will have to kind of wait and see on that one. But if it's anything like we saw against Louisville, wins are going to be hard to come by. Um, on this home stretch. So Kevin, I I have to ask, you know, we got Clemson coming up and then North Carolina to follow. So what do you see for those games? You see two wins, two losses, a split. Where are we going?
0: You know, my,
1: I don't know. I I think we beat Clemson.
0: Um, I think we've got enough juice and enough uh, sort of I wouldn't even call it momentum. I would call it more backs against the wall mentality, right? Like you you can't lose to a Clemson or else your season's over. So, I mean, I think we pull it out against Clemson. Um, I I can't see us beating UNC. I think that's kind of a done deal. Um, And then it's just a question of, you know, the next few weeks, can we scrape together enough to get to 20-ish wins? and then make some sort of run in the ACC tournament. So I'm going to say we split, we beat Clemson, we lose to UNC.
1: I unfortunately think we're going to drop both of these games. I just think defense is going to be a problem without Benny and with with the lineups we're trying to run out there without a true center. There's not a lot of depth. There's not a lot of size, which coming to this year, those were two of the things we were pointing to. Why we were hopeful is we have depth, we have size, we have a deep rotation. I think against Clemson, I hate to say, I think PJ Hall is going to bully us. I think he's going to kind of have his way and, and Malik's going to do his best, but it's not going to be enough. We're not going to have someone who can match up with him defensively. And I think we're going to try to play a lot of zone, and I think Joe Girard's going to make us pay for playing a lot of zone. Uh oh, he, Joe
0: Girard. I he's the
1: same player, you know, but I think this is going to be a game where he's going to go off. He's, he's going to be in full on hot dog mode. And he's going to take a bunch of uh, threes from the logo. And I think it's going to work out for him. I think he's going to come in fired up. He's going to want to remind Syracuse fans of the underappreciated appreciated player that he was for us. And I think he's going to have a big day and I don't think we're going to have enough firepower to keep up. Um, You know, we did against Louisville, but it's tough to do that again, to keep up that level of scoring and that level of shooting. So we might see some good offensive performances from our guys, but I just don't think we can stop anyone right now. So that goes without saying, I I think the North Carolina game might be almost as bad as the first time around. I just don't think we can match up with that size and athleticism right now. So I'm seeing another 30 to 40 point loss against North Carolina, as much as I hate to say it. Well,
0: uh, I don't think any of these guys, because you know, we're a team of sophomores, and most of these guys, I don't think, spent really enough time with Gerard to have any animosity. Uh, Bayheim's gone. You know, I don't know if Red or Jerry really have any animosity against uh, um, Joe Gerard, but I sure do. I remember watching that kid play, and I just I, – I can't I can't get on board. Like, whatever. If he wants to make this a revenge game
1: – I don't a, think there's uh, any animosity, uh, I don't think he's making it a revenge game. But you know he's going to come out fired up, and he's going to want to play well. Because if he goes cold, he's going to hear it from the crowd at the Dome. He's going to absolutely hear it. He doesn't want to – he doesn't want to have that on his hands, but – I you know I've always been a big Joe Girard apologist we know that on this podcast and I've always been a big fan but I, I think I think he's going to have a good day
0: Well hopefully you're wrong and he goes 1 for 13 from 3 like he did so fondly uh as a Syracuse player all the time and there's always a there's always a, a an excuse you know uh Oh, well, post COVID nineteen, like he's he's he wasn't used to having an empty crowd, and now his shots all off because he he's used to the crowd being there when he shoots. Like, what does he do What does he do in practice? I don't. Oh no, he's all thrown off now. Oh, he doesn't get enough support here. I think oh, he's like a oh. career
1: thirty eight percent three point shooter, dude. Like, he's just like like Trevor Cooney. Yeah.
0: Like he's great on paper. His his numbers are probably pretty solid on paper but if you the, look the two at the two but for
1: twelves stand out a whole lot more than the three two, for seven
0: it was just there was, was just a lot of the there was a most... lot of two
1: for tens two for elevens and and you know you remember those more than the three in, for seven moments too yeah
0: it's it's, it's not just it. the the overall stat sheet of like when you pad your stats it's when you go two for 12 when you go one for 15 That happens to be the, uh, you know, last four minutes of a game where we're trying to survive. And if you had just gone, I don't know, three for five, then we might have won that game. But instead, we insisted on sticking with the three ball and going to it early and often. And I don't know, just whatever. It's uh, I thought this was behind me um I guess these uh these the 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 way the transfer portal is now is is gonna make it so that these types of situations are are going to be more common um with uh former players you know ending up right in our right back in our dome against us so uh well hopefully there's there's another motivation for me for us to to beat Clemson um and that's going to be essential or I think if we if we drop more than one or two of these non-USC uh, UNC games, I, I think that's kind of you can sort of close the book on on 2023, 2024. Right.
1: Well, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention the Syracuse basketball team that will be playing in the NCAA tournament this March, and that is the women's team. Currently ranked number twenty-three. They've had a good year. They swept the season series with Notre Dame, who's always a a women's basketball powerhouse. Um, After beating Notre Dame, they dropped a couple ranked games to number 19 Virginia Tech and number 16 Louisville. But then they're back on track with consecutive wins over Boston College and Georgia Tech, led by star standout player Daesha Fair. They have another chance at Louisville, who's currently ranked 15th, coming up on February 11th at noon. So start watching the women's team. They're good. They're a lot of fun. And they're going to be playing in March, which you probably can't say for the men's team this year. So we will have a rooting interest in the NCAA tournament. It will just be on the women's side of things.
0: Yeah. Maybe we'll do a women's bracket.
1: We should. That, uh... We should do a women's bracket. And we, yeah. You know, women's basketball is changing. There's not just a handful of, of teams that are powerhouses and everyone else has no chance. I mean, even the last time Syracuse played in the national championship, it was against UConn, and you kind of knew you had no chance. Even though you made the title game, you knew you had no chance. That's not the case anymore. Syracuse won both games against Notre Dame. UConn just lost Notre Dame. Anything can happen. They could make a deep run. I, I think uh, Syracuse fans need to continue to show support to that program. Coach Leggett Jack has good things cooking on the women's side of things. You're here. Um, I think we need to change course uh, one last time. We are still hoping to get get Colin on to do a deep dive into Syracuse men's lacrosse here, but the season has started. They've started hot with two wins. Started the year with a 20-7 win against the University of Vermont, led by star sophomore Joey Spelina, who had seven points on three goals and four assists. Lehigh transfer Christian Mule with five points, three goals, and two assists. There are going to be some key players this year on the offensive side of things. On the defensive side... Uh, Billy Dwan with two cause turnovers. He's a very active long stick defender and he'll be a fun guy to watch all year long. And obviously Will Mark has returned in the goal this year for one more season. He was featured with 11 saves um, coming off his all American campaign from last year. Um, Riley Figuras is going to be playing on the defense this year. He missed all of last year with an injury after coming in as a highly touted recruit. So it'll be fun to get to see him finally play this year. Um, And then just the other day, a very chippy 18-10 win over Colgate. Joey Splina had nine points with an incredible four goals, five assists. Owen Hiltz had his first standout performance of the year with six points on three goals and three assists. Sam Alexo had another long stick goal that we've seen him do over the last couple of years, along with two cause turnovers some familiar faces and Nick Camo on the defensive side of things. So we'll, uh, we'll dive into this, but so far the, the team is playing well. Um, the offense looks electric the way they're, they're running things through the X, just like the old days with um, their attack with Joey Spilina, Owen Hiltz, a lot of experience now and a lot of excitement. So, Next matchup is against Manhattan on friday that that game should be about ready to start by the time this episode comes out, and we will uh we'll get Colin on to have a more informed deep dive into lacrosse, but things are looking up things are looking good they're ranked ninth that is poised to increase and and we should see a lot of good lacrosse this year so we'll we'll keep an eye on that Kevin you're gonna watch any lacrosse this year?
0: I can find it in the local. Hulu network that I've got uh, with the limited ACC network, um, yeah, that, that I have access to. But I'm, I'm. Um, I mean, should we, you know, mention that there's a football game on Sunday?
1: Football season's over, Kevin.
0: You know, a small football game where the NFC is gonna compete against the AFC.
1: I know I'm going to eat a lot of food and watch some sort commercials. Of I think it's like called the Titan Bowl. You, you, or what's it called? You again? can't say what the game is called. It's the big game.
0: Yeah, the, the big game. Yeah, for, for, for advertising For the love reasons. of
1: God, please give me San Francisco. I cannot watch Patrick Mahomes win another Super Bowl. I'm not a Patrick Mahomes hater. I don't dislike him. I like Travis Kelsey. I just can't see that team winning another Super Bowl. I like San Francisco, even though they're a divisional rival of my favorite team. I like Brock Purdy. I think it's a good story. I like seeing a guy like him succeed. I like the offensive firepower that San Francisco has, like their their hard nosed defense. Please, for the love of God, give me San Francisco in this game. Scott Schaefer. Scott Schaefer. Hashtag hard nosed.
0: Um. Yeah. I'll. I'll um... Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I. I have absolutely no reason to do this, but I'm gonna pick the Chiefs. Uh, just because that's it's what it feels like. Um, you know, like we used to joke about the feels like guy who uh, just goes outside and just like makes up a number. Feels um, like. Feels I'm just gonna say it feels like feels like Chiefs. You know, <laughs> uh, for for absolutely no reason other than that. Um, the the 49ers are in my opinion, the most complete, well, actually I think the Ravens are the most complete team in football this year, but in the playoffs, none of that matters, right? None of that seems to compute. It always seems to come down to who's got the hot hand, who's got, who wants it more, right? Uh, That's, that's what it always seems to come down to. And I think this year, the Chiefs just have, they've got juice, I don't I don't know where it's coming from. They played some truly god-awful football games this year. Travis Kelsey has not been the same guy. Patrick Mahomes has been throwing to a bunch of rubber-handed receivers. But somehow they've managed to put this thing together with paperclips and bubblegum, and it's actually kind of started to float a little bit. Um, so, yeah, give me the Chiefs. I think they, they turn it back on. Uh, Mahomes has, like just an endless amount of magic tricks that he can pull out. And in games like this, this is where he really shines the most. Uh, If you asked me back in like November, if like the chiefs were going to be like anywhere near a super bowl, I would have told you absolutely not. But uh, I think for two reasons, one, they have really turned it on, but also the NFL has, has sort of like all the really good teams have taken a back step, right? You saw Philadelphia just completely implode you know, after the month of November, uh, uh, you know, the 49ers have, have been the one of the few that have gotten better since then. Um, but you know, they're, they're the most complete team that's remaining, right. They got the, uh, unstoppable running game, uh, with, with McCaffrey. Um, they've got all these receivers that are way more talented than anything the Chiefs have. Um, the only thing I, I don't know, I, you'd be splitting hairs, right? Because these, these two defenses are, are right on spot with one another. So, uh, all in all, so having said that, give me 28 to 27 hmm. Chiefs. Low-scoring game. Um, and, yeah, and, well, I, I think there is going to – the ball is not going to touch the ground very often. Um, so, it's uh, it's not going to be like a lackluster offensive performance. I just think that the – that clock mm-hmm. is going to run yeah and i know the advertisers don't want that uh because they've got their you know millions of dollars of ads that they got to run but um yeah yeah i, I think uh, i i i picked the chiefs because that's kind of how i feel but also it's good for us to be on opposite sides because last time we kind of split it right down the middle um with uh, i think i picked the lions and the chiefs and you picked the ravens and the niners um, but, you know, I uh that that, that Lions game just I, I think if the Lions were in this game, I'd be picking the Lions. They just I don't know what happened in that last like thirteen minutes, but they just they just couldn't couldn't hang on to whatever it was, like a seventeen point lead. Um but uh yeah, yeah, give me the Chiefs. Let's let's see what happens.
1: I'm gonna go out of a limb here. I'm gonna say San Francisco wins. Jake Moody hits the go-ahead field goal, leaving Patrick Mahomes with about a minute and 10 seconds. He quickly drives down the field and then gets picked off to end the game, trying to squeeze one into Travis Kelsey in traffic. That's the end of the Super Bowl. I mean the big game. (sighs) Somewhere,
0: Brendan Welch just
1: deflated well it has to happen first for him to deflate (laughs) well i think that is all we have for this week oh wait i was gonna say i have a fun fact this
0: fun fact of the day um i saw this on like syracuse.com or something the other day uh and never knew this uh speaking of patrick mahomes did you know that his dad was a syracuse chief? Just before you and I were students, in 2007, Patrick Mahomes Senior was a pitcher for the Syracuse Chiefs
1: when they were the Blue Jays believe...
0: affiliate. Uh, we were no, but when they were the they were Still, the Nationals oh, affiliate. I had then. no
1: idea. Like I, I assumed his career was long over by then.
0: Yeah, what the, what are now the Syracuse Mets were the Syracuse Chiefs and. Those were some great $8 games that we used to not have to pay for because there'd be a million free tickets in the, the parking lot. The best
1: thing about going to a Syracuse Chiefs game is literally, like you said, you could roll up and tailgate without any tickets. And right when you are about ready to go into the stadium, probably the third inning or so, Every single time, someone would just walk up to us and say, hey, you want some tickets? And fan like 30 tickets in front of our faces. Every single time.
0: So here he is. Pat Mahomes Sr. Born August 9th, 1970 um in Bryan, Texas, his career record 42 and 39. He had a decent major league career, 5.4. but he was
1: just an old man floating around AAA in
0: 2007. Yep. I guess he was yeah, drafted by the Minnesota Twins. Um retired in 2003. Um 42 and 39, 547 ERA.
1: Wait, wait, wait. Um, he retired saves, in two thousand three.
0: Seven hundred nine innings. He retired pitched, in two thousand three. 452 but... strikeouts. One point five. How was he what? playing
1: in two thousand seven? If he retired in two
0: thousand three, um, I guess he must have made a comeback and never never started huh. in the majors again. That's that's bizarre. I need to look more into that.
1: The more you know. I
0: guess yeah, the timeline. Yeah, but that's that's. Yeah, may tried to do a Michael Jordan type right. deal. Or was he know. on the
1: team or was he playing washers with us in the parking lot? Also didn't bring a spatula for the grill.
0: Yeah, he would have been yeah, he would have been like well into his 40s um, whenever all that happened. Hmm. Well,
1: that'll that'll
0: just be a mystery for us to resolve. We'll figure next time. it out. We're, we're on this podcast.
1: <laughs> we will figure it out. And I believe that is all that we have for this week. For Kevin O'Keefe, I'm Shell. If you have the 1990 NCAA Lacrosse Championship Trophy, please let us know. Let Matt know. He's been he's been texting us every week asking if anyone's got the trophy yet, and he's heartbroken every time we tell him still no, still no. So please let us know. Uh, tweet at Matt. Follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, 3AL Pod. Send an email to the mailbag, ask a Kevin a question to Kevin or I. It's pretty much just you and I, Kevin, holding down the fort here for now. So send us a question, give us something to talk about. Um yeah, so that's all we have for you guys, and we hope to be back next week.